I'm absolutely convinced that all men, including you and I, have hidden potential that's not been tapped into. The team and I have designed a quiz for you to work out what that could be, and there's a link to it in the show notes. I'll tell you more at the end, but for now, enjoy the episode. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that this episode includes details of an accident that some listeners might find upsetting. And people were talking to me, but it's just like an echo. I wasn't really hearing stuff because I was just a complete shock. Welcome to Stories of Men, Beneath the Surface. I'm Alex Melia. Join me as we discover what it means to be a man in the modern era. Today we're hearing how a horrific accident led one man to a lifetime of wandering before he learned the value of sacrificing his own needs for those of his loved ones. Nathan was 17 when he met Samantha. It was love at first sight, and it wasn't long before Jonathan had proposed. The couple had plans to move to the UK, start their lives together. One summer, the couple decided to take a trip with Samantha's father, Jeff, and her sister, Tabitha. The group set off in their truck. Uh, she had blonde hair, a long blonde hair. She always used to wear a dress. Uh, she was lovely. She was bubbly, very kind, very sweet. Would do anything for anybody. Always thought about other people than herself. I was more the rebellious one, and she was the one that kept me on the rails. We decided to stop for a bite to eat. and We were traveling in a pickup. We were in the back with a canopy at the back, and we were sitting in there, and we are driving along. And I never forget when it happened. And we were all playing that game, you know, I spy with my little eyes on the beginning of whatever it was, game, just trying to kill time. And next minute, there was this big, massive wallop. And it was just like a big daze. When I opened my eyes, I was on, uh, lying on top of the road, but I'd sort of propelled in the air to about 10 meters in the air. And by the time I recovered, I just saw two bodies behind me. And then when I when I went to, to see how the father was, he was just standing there on his steering wheel saying, Check my daughters, please. I ran to Tabitha and I was, she was just lying there, I was shaking her because I could see she wasn't breathing. And then Tabitha, Tabitha, come on, come on, wake up, what's going on? I thought maybe she was concussed or something. And you shared that, <gasps> and I think, okay, okay, she's okay. I couldn't understand why I couldn't speak properly and why I thought I had no teeth. But it wasn't until I, later I realized that I had broken my jaw, it had been dislocated and I had to actually hold up my jaw. So I run to Sam and I just see like blood everywhere, lying on the floor. This was about 50 meters away from the pickup where they landed. So that's how hard the impact was. When I went to, to pick her up, I could feel the spine out of her neck. And then obviously I was shaking her as well, but I was just, I knew straight away subconsciously that there's no way anybody could survive that. She was dead instantly, basically. I knew, it, my, I knew she was gone, but obviously I'm in denial. I knew it, but I said, it can't be, can't be. I was sitting on the bank for like 20 minutes, just shaking my head, rocking back and forth, shaking my head for like half an hour, sitting on that bank because I was in so much shock because I knew that, that I'd lost my fiance. And then I ran back to see the father. By the time I got back, he was gone too. I mean, I, I'd only got two words out of him before I ever spoke to him again. The two words were my, my daughters, my daughters. What did Samantha mean to you and and how did you feel about her dying? Oh, she was my life. I mean, we 
I've been together a long time for I met her when I was 17 years old at school so I was still at school when I met her and we had <clears throat> we had um, a place together uh, we'll rent a place in South Africa we moved around we did a lot together and we'd made plans for this we had plans to go to the UK and save up and come back buy a home and we had plans to have family and everything there was just there was no there's no question and where we wanted to go in life because this is what we wanted it was just you know it's one of those things i don't know probably this fairy style stuff where it's meant to be you know you are supposed to be together we there was never any doubt you know obviously when i got older in different relationships you start realizing what people go through but for me it was just this is it this is what i want this is what we want and that's all we ever worked again even though you you'd met when you were 17 why did she mean so much to you why was there no doubts what was it about her and your relationship it was just who she was. She 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 accepted me for who I was. She knew that I had the rebellious side to me and I could be a bit crazy, but she knew that I was loving and caring. She understood me more than anybody. She actually understood me better than I understood myself. So she really knew how to 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 not please me, but satisfy me in such a way that I felt so so complete. Like even if I was doing something wrong, she she speak to me in a way that would make me accept that I'd done something wrong, but at the same time make me feel that you know I, I can improve and don't do that sort of thing again so it was just the way she approached it the way her, her, her mentality everything was just so so nice and polite and smooth where I was the complete opposite you know and she accepted me for who I was it was just incredible you know my mother even talks about it today even even though I got a new family and everything she still brings it up you know and I'm still thinking of Sam and Sam is just like well you know this is a long time ago but uh, no, she's definitely in the memory books so obviously time does heal at some point, but you never forget really. Um, it set me AWOL basically because I just went from drifting from country to country. I worked in Malta, I've worked in Tenerife, New Zealand, Holland. Uh, I've done all the UK islands as well. And I never settled. I wouldn't hold a job more than two years basically for like the next 10 years. I just didn't want any commitment. I didn't want any relationship. I just wanted be alone basically i wanted a lot of the time i wanted to be alone because i didn't i didn't like having these conversations with people over and over and over again you know when i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry you know you don't want to keep hearing it so you, you sort of put it in the back of your mind and you try you try and move on with your life but you don't you don't bring up these stories because you don't want to you know reignite the pain and all this sort of stuff so i became very introverted myself and i just kept a lot of the stuff sort of bottled it up which is probably not the manly thing to do i mean i never even shredded a tear uh, so obviously, I clearly had a problem with my emotions and not letting them, not letting them out basically. But that's just the way I dealt with it. It took me a long time to get over it. It's like everything I planned, it just disappeared in a second. And we're going through this process of what we decided, and then all of a sudden it's gone. It's very difficult to to move on. It takes a lot of time to heal. I mean, we, we, you put on this this false pretense that everything's okay, but it never is because you're not expressing it. You're holding it back. So I drifted for a long time and I could work in bars and restaurants and hotels and anything. I could adapt to any environment and just move on. But I would never, ever settle. In my mind, I'd, I would never, ever you know, be with another woman again because I just didn't want that. I didn't want to go through that pain again. I mean, we were together for, in total, over 10 years. So that's a long time. She was the love of your life. She was my soulmate, basically, and back in those days. That was it. Um, to me, there was no, there was no other alternative. But when you get older, you know, obviously, you with somebody, you think, oh, you know, I'm not happy, or something's not right, or I never felt that with her. It's really interesting because it makes me think about 
our ego and, and protection, and we want to protect our ego and we want to protect ourselves from something bad happening to us again. And I've done this before where I isolate myself off from the crowd and I just want to be by myself. And I, you do go into this, yeah, protection sort of mindset. It's like you're going, it's almost like a war analogy of you, you, you're in the bunker and you're in this fetal position. You're trying to make sure no one hurts you. And you had that. They put this bubble around you, basically. That you don't want anybody in. You don't. It's not. It's not that you don't want to be rude. You don't want people to know about you. You just don't want to be, open that can, basically, because it's none of their business. You don't have to relive the whole process. So yeah, I mean, most people. I mean, ninety percent of people don't know. That's why I was drifting, but that's why I do it because I just wanted to keep moving because I never knew where home was anymore. No, there's no way I would go back to South Africa and live because there was nothing there for me anymore. I would. I never. I could never settle in England because it never felt like home. So all these places I went to, like you know, Spain and Holland and Mexico and the Dominican Republic and all these places I worked in and I moved around, it never ever felt like home. In my mind, I I, I didn't know what home was. So obviously, I became a, a pretty intense drifter. You know, I think it's only the last six years I've actually settled. Is Hungary your home now? Do you feel like it's your home? Definitely. Definitely. My wife at the moment, Victoria, I met her in the UK when I was on one of my drifting sessions. When I met her, it was the first time I ever felt the bond again, that, that connection, that, um, that Samantha, obviously would never be the same. Victoria is like more direct than Samantha would be, but at the same time, she's very caring and loving and that piece of the wheel that's missing. I was like driving a one wheel bike for so many years. So that's how the wheel I found. So, and we, we, again, we made plans for this, but we decided this, this was planned and everything was planned. Like if, if we, when we have kids, it wasn't, you know, when we have kids, we are going to have kids. And when we do have kids, we're going to, we're going to be moving to Hungary where the grandparents are and support and they must be raised Hungarian. And that was decided from day one. And I'm living that exactly because that's what we planned. So very similar to what I did with Samantha's plan, but obviously that went belly up this time you know i'm on a different plan but um on a different different lab but the drifting has stopped because now i can turn around and say to myself my home is hungry and uh, i've never been able to say that for well the last 30 years <laughs> yeah well maybe i'm doing the same thing maybe i'm doing the exact same thing that you were doing i mean there is some element of that and i think it's just having this conversation with you today is kind of give me something to reflect on after we finish is to say, well, am I, am I drifting? Am I aimlessly looking for something, you know? And it goes back to the, the U2 song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Well, what, it, what is it am I looking for? What's, what are you looking for? What's the listener looking for? What are we all looking for? I can tell you a secret. If you keep looking, you'll never find it. Just don't look. It will just be in your face before you know it. But I never expected this. And I, was never, ever, I never, ever wanted to settle down and have kids. Uh, and have a family at my age. I was ne not expecting that. And five years ago, it just was in front of me, and it just changed the way I, I thought completely. How did you change as a man after Samantha died and her dad died? Well, it makes you stronger, of course. You know, end up getting skin like a rhino. You know, That's, I mean, nothing really can upset me because <laughs> uh, you know when you go through something like that, you know, you just laugh a lot of the stuff off. I came from a, a very old school sort of a style, especially my, my, my parents and all that very South African style, like, you know, the men got there, they earn the good money. 
and then you know the wife sit at home and cook and clean and do the rest of it but obviously we live in a different world today completely and what i realize at this point is that since all this the, this drifting i've become more emotionally attached like i'd i'd rather express my feelings more than i would before because i just bottle everything up and i would never ever talk about it and it's not for health i know it's not healthy but i guess that's a man thing, you know man up you know and that kind of thing and I find that the emotional side of it is a bit better, not as much as I could be, but I am approved that side of it. And that's all through this life experience. But there's one thing that I did realize about being a proper man or manhood or whatever you want to call it, what a man is about is this thing called self-sacrifice. And self-sacrifice is key because you get these people that, that come home and expect their wives to do this and do that and do that. That's just selfish. For me, as what a man is, is about self-sacrifice, like self-sacrifice to your kids. Like, you know, you go there, you do your work, you come home, you, you go and you spend time with your kids, you dedicate time with your kids, you put priority towards your kids instead of working and speaking to them for 10 minutes, putting them to bed. Now, I've realized that I've had to sacrifice myself to improve my improve myself, improve my relationship. Same with relationship with Vicky, self-sacrificing the marriage relationship and also self-sacrificing in family life itself. I mean, I'm doing washing, I'm doing dishes, I'm, I do everything possible, change nappies, the rest of it. Ten years ago, you wouldn't catch me doing that. I wouldn't do anything like that. But I realized you've got to change and actually made me a better person. Whereas before I'd be like, oh, I don't want to do it. Now I just do it because I want to do it and I know it feels good and it helps everybody, helps the family. So this self-sacrifice thing that I keep pumping into myself has worked very well for me in the long run. But give it 10, 15 years ago, I'd just sit on a couch while you start hoovering around me or you know, throw the meal at and throw the dishes in the sink and walk away. Where now, it's very, I'm very, very different. <laughs> Become domesticated. <laughs> we'll get back to the episode in a second. Before that, I just want to say, if you think this episode would be useful to a friend, send it along. You never know, it might just be the exact thing they're looking for today. And now back to the show. Do you think it was Victoria who changed you or did you change yourself? I think, I think it was a process. Um, obviously drifting a lot, um, meeting, you have a few relationships here and there, but you don't, you don't take anything seriously. And then you start realizing that you're actually a very arrogant person. You're not really doing anything. You're just expecting everything to do for you. And then you start changing. Like when my previous relationship, I didn't really do much, but now I did. Not because I was told, because I saw the struggle. You know, you know screaming kids and, and all the rest of it. I thought, so well, I can sit there and be and ignore the whole process or actually get involved and try and resolve it. And I started that way. And I started 15, 20 years ago. I wouldn't be doing that. And the thing is, for this, the, when, you, when you do this self-sacrifice thing, as far as improving your relationship, your family life, it, makes, it feels good. It feels good because, you know, I'm, I'm helping. I'm, I'm part of this relationship. I'm part of this family. I'm doing that my part. I'm not just going to work and earning the money and sitting on the couch and expecting a big plate of chicken. You know, I'm doing more. And obviously, in today's world, you know, everybody has to work. You know, you can't afford just to, to, to live on one income anymore with a raise of cost. So everything has changed from back when you know, my mother was alive. My mother would say to me, oh, I raised three kids on my own while your dad was a sailor in the sea. Yeah, but when it's 2022 now, you know, <laughs> it's very different. You say that things have changed and I suppose men have become more willing to help, etc. But I still hear about men who 
don't want to change nappies and don't want to cook food and, and come home and expect that food would be on the table for them. I've got a, a, a friend that lives in the UK and this guy called Richard. He's the laziest guy ever and he does nothing. I remember him watching his wife struggle trying to put her arm, put the push chair together and, and, and holding two kids at the same time. <laughs> and he's just sitting there smoking a cigarette. And I think to himself, maybe I was like that at one stage. When I see that type of thing, I think, you know, that's not really, now that's not manly. That's not anything to be to, to, about being a man. That's just being an idiot. I want to go back to the time that you were that you were drifting and, and going to to different countries because you said that you bottled things up if you'd have actually been open about your feelings during those times do you think you would have drifted for as long as you did that's a really difficult question to answer because I wouldn't know the answer to that if I'd opened up but I'm sure I'm sure I would have because maybe there would have been more support and uh, maybe more comforting. Maybe my social life would be different. So, yeah, of course, if I opened up, I would be on a very different path at this point. But, you know, being South African, it's all about being tough. You know, you've seen the Springboks, they're like, they're like oxes, you know. We, we're a tough nation. We don't, we don't whine. We just keep stuff to ourselves, grind and move on. So that's the that's sort of the, 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 the labeling of what a man's like in South Africa, calluses on your hand, you know, ripped jeans and, you know, arms out here. We, you know, the South African Boers, you know. So they're really tough people tough nation so obviously you learn to bottle that up i mean today we talk about gays and lesbians and all that stuff you wouldn't you wouldn't mention that in in, in south africa in my youth because it mm. just you know just wouldn't wouldn't go down well so obviously a lot of it's changed but I, I do wish that i had opened up earlier but there again alex i don't wish i'd opened up earlier because that would change my fate wouldn't it maybe you might not have met victoria well of course i wouldn't have if i'd opened up it would have changed my path completely I always say everything's meant to be the way it is. You are exactly where you should be. The only thing you can do is obviously improve how you move forward. You know, you can only change the now. You can't change the past. I mean, you were you were dating other women during your drifting years. Dating like a week, maybe three or four months. Very, uh, you know, it was there. The laughs were there. The fun was there. The sex were good. You know, it was all a good laugh and all that. But this was never there, you know was never there because in here there was no interest but obviously as a man you need some sort of social interaction some bondage some some relationship at some point to keep yourself you know keep yourself moving but in my head it was never there because i just mm. wanted to go it's interesting this whole idea of commitment phobe being a commitment phobe and i think back to 2012 i was in hong kong at that time teaching english i was 25 24 25 then and a girl I was kind of seeing. I remember she said to me, oh, you're a commitment phobe. And I kind of just brushed it off. But maybe a couple of years went by. One day I just randomly thought of this girl and she said, oh, you're a commitment phobe and you're sending me mixed signals. And I started to think about this and I thought maybe there is some truth in what she says. But that was the first time anyone had ever mentioned that. And sometimes for you to actually realize you've got an issue, it requires someone else to tell you that. So uh, she really helped me out a lot. And I've only just thought about that now. I mean, of course, anyone could be have issues with commitment and being in this protection mode, whether it's men or women. But I think with men, they're less likely to speak out, especially if you come from a culture like you did in, in South Africa. And obviously, I'm, I'm younger than you. So as, as we progress, men do start to open up more. So perhaps as a 29-year-old man in what, 2017 or something like that, I w I'd be more likely to open up than a 
29-year-old Jonathan, wh- whatever year that was in the 2000s. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Well, it's a different different era, isn't it? I mean, when I was 29 years, things were a lot different than what they are now. You know, we, did, we weren't using, like, L'Oreal face cream and looking <laughs> after ourselves. And, you know, we were just, like, hard people, calluses yeah. and bruises and scratches and, you know, holes in our shoes and it's tough. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's very different. Now I'm like L'Oreal looking after myself. You look myself beautiful, my kids Jonathan, are young beautiful. And, and uh, shame of eyebrows, stuff <laughs> I would live at you, you know. So, of course, everything yeah. changes uh, in, in, in relation to it. But, yeah. But the thing is, it's when you open up, I mean, I don't know if, if, if you agree with this, Alex, but it's not – all you have to do is, is open up slightly, and it's the woman who will bust you open completely. You just have to give them something, and they'll bust it open. That's what, that's what Vicky did to me, you know. She'd ask me something, and I'd, I'd answer, like, two or three words, and then she'd bust it open even more. And really make me start talking about myself, make me think about what I'm saying and do. I said to her, "Listen, I don't want to have kids. I mean, I'm too old for it." And she she was adamant. She said, hey, you, "What you're going to do? Just be on your own?" And because I want kids, and that's what made me realize. I mean, she made me make a massive decision by making me open up. So she was basically my shrink, <laughs> and I would never allow that. So that means that I was very comfortable with with uh, Vicky. Because I would never let anybody do that to me. I just have this, like this bubble, this bottle, and I'll give you two or three words, answers. That's it. And I would do it on purpose to stop the conversation. But no, she just, she just twist and open it up. And she really opened me up and made me realize that, you know, I've got an opportunity here to be with somebody that I'm feeling very, very comfortable with. And I'm, I, that obviously was pretty new at that stage. But now, obviously, there's undoubtable love that we have. And I have beautiful kids now, and I live in a beautiful home. I wouldn't have that if it wasn't for the fact that she bust me open. So basically, if you let yourself open up a little bit, if a woman really, really wants to be part of your life or really feels towards you, they'll do the rest, and then you'll feel a lot more comfortable. But to sit there and open yourself up completely to a woman, I don't think any man is going to do that. But just give them something, and they will work on it. seems to me that since, since the tragic loss of Samantha, you had those many years drifting. It, it's almost like, you'd not overcome the trauma. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you've not overcome the trauma. So you're drifting, drifting, you're having these casual relationships. And then it takes a special woman like Victoria to help you perhaps overcome the trauma. You've almost been able to get that love back that was missing for many years. Yeah, that emotion that was missing all that all those years, you know. Yeah, so you know there's lust and uh, you, know, you look pretty good, you good body and all that. But that that feeling, you know, that the feeling of love. You know, that's like a real adrenaline rush to get that back um, after all these years. You think you never, I mean, I'd never, the thing is, I was never looking for, I didn't want it again because it created so much pain for me. The last time I'd, I'd let myself go and open up and boom, it was just stripped out of me. So obviously, I, maybe subconsciously that was just blocking me. I didn't want to open up for that. But then obviously when I, when I met Victoria, you know, she started with a screw and started opening me up slowly. But she, she knew everything about me within six months. Everything, all this stuff that I'm talking about, she knew about because she made me want to talk about it. She made me want to. It's like I've been waiting for this person just to spill all this stuff out of it, which I've never, ever uh, spoke about it. But, I mean, not, not like sobbing there with my, boiling my eyes out with tissues, but just talking about it again, you know, comfortably without – you know, people go, oh, I'm so ashamed, ashamed. Yeah, it's not, it's not sympathy I look for. It's just, it was nice to get it out. So I guess, I guess you're right there. It's just, um, 
was caged up for a long time and she obviously found the key to open it, I guess. I think that's the beauty of current and previous relationships is that you do your partner almost does end up becoming some sort of counsellor for you or you reveal things to girlfriends, wives, etc., that you wouldn't say to your your mates, your friends. And I find women are usually very good listeners and they're able to they almost sort of just give you this invitation to be open and be vulnerable. And I mean, I don't know why vulnerability is considered feminine, but in traditional forms of femininity, it is considered, you know, vulnerability is considered feminine. But the more I tap into the feminine, the more of a man I feel like I become and the more I feel like I don't need to protect myself anymore because you're going, you're going from protection to connection. And that's what you've done. Your protection was you're protecting yourself after everything that happened with with Samantha and the and and her father, and now you've gone on this long process of protecting yourself by just having these casual relationships, and now you've gone to connection. You've met you know an amazing woman, and and you're in a completely different headspace these days. Well, like I said, that feminine side you're saying, Alex, it's, it sounds you know people are like oh, I don't want to get involved, but you when you tap into it without realizing it, it does make you feel a hell of a lot better. It's just very strange, you know, like. I wear nicer clothes now and I groom myself better and something I would have never bothered. But no, Vicky's like, hey, go and shave your eyebrows, go and do this. Let's, let me buy you some nice clothes. It just makes you feel, I don't know, it's really strange. Um, did you buy that brown jumper or did she buy that? <laughs> she probably did. <laughs> Actually, probably everything in my wardrobe, to be honest. Debatable whether it's a nicer jumper, but I'll let you off. <laughs> I mean, I could, I, could travel, I could travel with a backpack with three items of clothing and just wear it over and over and I wouldn't care. Yeah. Now that you know, she wants me to feel good about myself. She wants for the family, for the kids, and and something that it's it's a very feminist thing, but at the same time, it makes you feel really manly. It's very strange. Men have very different ways of dealing with loss. In Jonathan's case, he had this inability to deal with it, and what he decided to do, perhaps consciously or subconsciously, was to be a lone wolf was to kind of stay away from the crowds, be isolated and be a wanderer and go and travel around the world. I suppose he was a drifter. What does it mean to drift? I've definitely taken a similar approach to Jonathan and after speaking to him, it really made me go away and have a think about it. Am I doing the same things right now? Should I be settling down or should I just continue traveling? What is the intention behind what I'm doing? Why am I doing it? Is it born out of trauma, sort of difficult experiences, or is it because I'm really wanting to do this? As is the case with Jonathan, behind every great man is a great woman. We've heard this sentence so often. Why do some men struggle without the guidance of a woman? When I think about my own previous relationships, I think a woman has been able to help me to improve myself, to bring out my feminine side and reveal parts of my character or parts of my personality that I kept hidden which definitely elevated me and helped me to become a better man. As I'm doing a lot of episodes on the podcast at the moment, and I'm speaking to different people about femininity and masculinity, it's just something that keeps coming back to me again and again, that the more I embrace my feminine, the more of a man I become. And I can see this in friends and other men in my life as well. Jonathan is someone I've known for a few years now, and I've actually met him face to face. He lives in Budapest with his amazing wife, Victoria, and his two kids, Shamu and Rebecca. And he's absolutely embraced his feminine side as well, doing things he could never possibly have imagined doing, changing nappies, 
parenting as a whole, doing dishes, domestic duties. And I think this has definitely made him a better man as well. Before you go, let me tell you about our man test. The team and I created it with the belief that every man has hidden, untapped potential. And I want to help you discover what it could be. Let's face it, we've all got dreams and aspirations, but the stresses of life can get in the way. I know I've been there myself. As men, each one of us has skills and knowledge that sets us apart from the rest. It's about discovering what they are and making the most of them. The man test is simple. It takes less than three minutes and will help you discover your true strengths and talents by working out what kind of modern man you really are. Find the link in the show notes and take the man test today. You never know, you might just learn something new about yourself that you didn't know before.